Thank you so much for being part of Parkside Green's Bible study. Uh, Pastor Steve here, focusing with you this week on Jesus foretelling the future. Now, already we've seen Jesus foretell the future. Details about his death and resurrection that happened in Luke 9 twice, also again in Luke 18. Besides Jesus foretelling details about Peter denying him and Judas betraying him. And in this week's passage, Luke 21, Jesus foretells additional future events that are going to unfold. And, and in fact, I circled every use of that future tense verb, will, uh, between verses 5 and 27. The word will appears 26 times in these 23 verses. Jesus is foretelling what will happen in the future, and it all starts with what will happen in the temple. Now, you'll remember that when we left off last week, Jesus had been teaching the people daily in the temple, and he observed the, the rich and the poor widow giving in the offering box right there in the temple. Well, Mark 13, 1 says that as Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, the, the wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. The temple is amazing, isn't it, Jesus? And it was, it was nearly a mile in perimeter. In fact, one of the stones that's still there is measured at around 45 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet. It's an estimated weight of 500 tons. That's about a million pounds. I mean, that is one noble stone. Uh, the temple that Herod had expanded and added onto was almost nearly twice the size of Solomon's. And the offerings mentioned in Luke 21.5 probably referred to ornamental gifts and memorial decorations, things like grape clusters, tapestries, doors made of precious metals. I mean, it was truly a sight to behold. And yet, Jesus says, as for these things that you see, the day is going to come where there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. There's a day in the future when it's all coming down. Say what? I mean, this is where we come to offer sacrifices. This, this is the direction that we face when we pray. Teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? The parallel passage in Matthew 24, 3, I think is helpful in clarifying that as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, where there's just this great view of the temple, his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? You notice there are two questions here. When will these things be with the destruction of the temple you just talked about, no stones standing on one another? And secondly, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Now, Jesus' disciples may have thought those two things would happen simultaneously, that the temple would be destroyed and, and Jesus would come back at the same time. But I think that Jesus gives them and gives us reason to believe that these are two separate events. The destruction of the temple and Jerusalem will occur in AD 70 under the Roman general Titus. And then much later, Jesus will come and, and bring this age of history to a close. So the near event in which the temple and Jerusalem will be destroyed is kind of like the pattern that foreshadows the distant event of judgment when Jesus, the Son of Man, returns at the close of the age. 
Now, I know that many good, godly people have a lot of different views on this, but let's together try to make sense of how Jesus foretells the future in Luke 21, verses 5 to 38, which we'll investigate under just two major headings. Number one, expect opposition and Jerusalem's trampling. That's in verses 5 to 24, as well as verses 29 to 33. And then secondly, watch, stay awake, and pray for Jesus' return in verses 25 to 28 and 34 to 38. So first, expect opposition and Jerusalem's trampling. I mean, Jesus tells his disciples that the stones of the temple are going to be thrown down, and yet Jesus is clear in verse 9 that the end will not be at once. So when the temple is destroyed, don't be led astray by many who will come in Jesus' name. Don't go after false messiahs who say, I am he. Don't be terrified by reports of wars and tumults. Don't go into hyper mode over what seems to be an unglued world, one commentator said. Jesus is forewarning his disciples there's a lot of turmoil ahead. Nations and kingdoms are going to rise up against each other. There's going to be great earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places. There'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. But in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus says, hey, those are just the beginning of birth pains. As verse 9 in Luke 21 says, the end will not be all at once. It's not going to happen that way. And you notice in verse 12 that before all these things that Jesus has been talking about so far, before those things unfold, authorities are going to lay hands on Jesus' followers. They're going to persecute them. They're going to deliver them up to those first century synagogues and prisons. But, but, there's a silver lining in their persecution. When Jesus' followers are brought before kings and governors for Jesus' name's sake, that will be their opportunity to witness. That'll be their chance to witness. And, and we see that happening throughout the book of Acts, don't we? And Jesus' followers, they don't need to prepare big speeches for those witnessing opportunities. No, when they needed it, Jesus would give them a mouth and wisdom which none of their adversaries would be able to withstand or contradict. It's just like what we read about in Acts 6.10, how those who disputed with Stephen could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Now, it's going to get so bad that Jesus' followers are going to be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. It's not going to be easy. Jesus' followers will be hated by all for his name's sake. And some of them, not all of them notice, but some of Jesus' followers will even be put to death. But not a hair of their head will perish. <laughs> when a Christian is killed physically as a martyr, there is no spiritual harm to his or her soul. Rather, by their endurance, their steadfastness in following Jesus, whether they are killed or not, they will gain their eternal lives. See, we endure through opposition by witnessing and by trusting in Jesus. Now further, when Jesus' disciples see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and they would see that beginning in the late 60s, 67, 68, 69 AD, then they will know that Jerusalem's desolation has come near. 
It's a few decades down the road for them now as Jesus is talking to them. But when that time comes, Jesus tells those who are then in Judea, and that's the region surrounding Jerusalem, flee to the mountains. I mean, if you're inside the city, get out before the Roman siege chokes the life out of the city. And if you're out in the country, don't go into Jerusalem. I mean, you're not going to be able to save it. There can be wisdom, we see, in escaping danger and not courting unnecessary suffering. For these are days of God's vengeance, Jesus says, to fulfill all that is written about God's judgment on unfaithful Jerusalem. Remember, it's the city that rejects and kills the Messiah that is sent to it. And it's going to be especially tough for women who are pregnant or or nursing infants in those days. I mean, normally, having a baby in your belly or or nursing a newborn is a huge blessing. But it's going to be extra tough for those vulnerable ladies in the future days when armies are decimating the city. The bottom line is this. It's going to be a time of great distress and wrath against this people. That's those in Jerusalem who reject Jesus as Messiah. Such people will be killed by the sword and they'll be led captive among all nations. And the Jewish historian Josephus says that over 100,000 were killed and 97,000, he says, were dispersed as slaves to Egypt and other parts of the empire. Oh, Jerusalem, it's been the center of Jewish worship for over a thousand years. It's going to be trampled underfoot by Gentiles. It's the ultimate insult, the ultimate judgment. Jesus is telling his temple-adoring followers, look at these buildings, to expect Jerusalem's trampling. But, but, that will last only until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You remember what Paul said in Romans 11, 25, and 26, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Then, in my non-dogmatic reading, it's not a main thing or plain thing, there seems to be a shift from Jesus answering his disciples' first question about the temple and Jerusalem, which will be trampled in AD 70, to his disciples' second question, recorded in Matthew 24, 3. What will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And I think that Luke 21, 24 signals that Jesus is shifting from speaking about the destruction of the temple to speaking about his future coming. These two events are separated by a set period of time. It's unknown to us how long that will be. It's called the times of the Gentiles. Because you see, don't you, in verse 25, there's no more talk about the temple or Jerusalem from this point forward. Rather, there's cosmic imagery that seems to go beyond the first century. Remember question two from Matthew 24, 3, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? Answer, there'll be signs in the sun and moon and stars. The the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There'll be signs in the skies above and on the earth below where roaring seas and waves will bring distress to nations and perplexity 
People are going to faint with fear and with foreboding of what is coming, not just on Jerusalem, mind you, but on the whole world. And then people will see the Son of Man, Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus' return will be clearly visible to all. And when these things, the, the cosmic signs of verses 25 to 27, begin to take place, Jesus' followers can straighten up and raise our heads in confidence because then our redemption is drawing near. Yes, when unbelievers maybe are freaking out, believers can be savoring their eternal reward. So I think Jesus has now answered his disciples two questions about the destruction of the temple and the signs of his coming at the close of the age. And lastly, he finishes his teaching in this chapter with a parable, which I think is about the destruction of Jerusalem, and then also some teaching on how to live in light of his coming. And there's a lot of practical application to be found in this final section. The parable concerns the fig tree and other trees too, right? As soon as you see their leaves come out, for us, maybe the end of March, beginning of April, you know that summertime is near. It's right around the corner. So also, when Jesus' followers see the things that he's been talking about taking place, they know the kingdom of God is near. Jesus explains that this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And this statement, found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, has occasioned much, much debate. Uh, there's at least six different interpretations of what this generation means. You can find it in Bible study notes and commentaries. Alistair Begg has a 35-minute sermon just on this one verse. And here, I'd encourage you to look at every use of the phrase, this generation, in Luke's gospel. Every time Luke refers to Jesus speaking of this generation. It's found in chapter 7, verses 31 to 34, also in chapter 11, verses 29 to 32, chapter 11, verses 49 to 51, chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, and then here in chapter 21, verse 32. And I think, I think you will find that the phrase this generation always refers to the present generation with whom Jesus interacted. That being the case, I think, I think non-dogmatically, that Jesus is saying that those who were alive while Jesus was speaking, that they wouldn't pass away until all that Jesus had said about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple has taken place. People from that generation would actually see those things happen around AD 70. And when Jesus foretold this future event, realize there was no imminent threat to the city of Jerusalem around AD 30, but within four decades, it would be destroyed. So don't be rattled when Jerusalem is trampled. I'm telling you beforehand, you can count on it. My words will not pass away. In fact, they're more permanent than heaven and earth, which will undergo change. Think about that. A man with a relatively small group of followers living in the first century when there's no mass communication and there's no widespread storage of people's words, he claimed that his words would never pass away. And they haven't, have they? Billions of people, including us, still read and are blessed by 
the words of Jesus, which have not passed away. Lastly, Jesus concludes his foretelling of the future by exhorting his followers in how to prepare for his future return. Both in the first century and in the 21st century, Jesus' followers can be prepared to stand before the Son of Man by watching ourselves, staying awake, and praying. First, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And on that day, Jesus' return will, will come upon you suddenly like a trap falling on an animal. Oh, that day is going to come upon all who dwell upon the whole earth, he says. But I think it's worth noting that according to Mark 13, 3, Jesus addresses these warnings to his followers. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were specifically mentioned there. Those who had given up everything to follow Jesus, they still had to watch out for worldliness creeping into their lives. So watch yourselves. Don't let yourselves get weighed down with the, the party life of dissipation and drunkenness or the cares of this life. Those things, they distract us from the eternal life to come in Jesus' kingdom. Excessive pleasure and, and cares of this life make us kind of spiritually sleepy. But no, stay awake at all times. Don't, don't be spiritually awake just for an hour on Sunday morning or on a Wednesday or for a few minutes every day. No, if that day comes upon you suddenly, you want to be found spiritually alert, faithfully serving the Lord, not polishing off a six-pack or chugging down a bottle of wine or obsessing over your next purchase that you're sure will bring you fulfillment. And a key way to stay spiritually awake is to pray. Pray that you may have spiritual strength to escape from being led astray, like Jesus said earlier, during all the tumultuous times that precede Jesus' return. Pray that you might be prepared to stand before the Son of Man so that you can hear those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant. Watch yourselves, stay awake at all times, and pray. And with that, the reports of Jesus' daily teaching in the temple are concluded. So in closing, consider these four questions and kind of application answers. Question one, how do we endure through opposition? Answer, by witnessing and trusting in Jesus. Question two, how do we face the future, all its uncertainties? Answer, by resting in God's sovereign control. Thirdly, why are we encouraged as believers? Answer, because our redemption is nearer every day. Every day it's drawing nearer. And question four, how do we prepare for Jesus' future return? Answer, watch ourselves, stay awake at all times, and pray. God our Father, we praise you as the one who holds the whole world and every detail of the future in your hand. When we face opposition in the future, help us at those times to see them as opportunities to witness and to trust you that you will give us the words to say. You'll give us a mouth and give us wisdom. No matter what we go through in this life, Lord, we are encouraged that our redemption is drawing near all the time. 
And as we await Jesus' return, it's going to happen in your perfect timing, Lord. Give us spiritual strength to pray, to watch ourselves, to stay awake. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.